Hey, everybody. It's good to see you. It's been a long time. I've been away on a journey that you sent me on <laughs> to rest and refreshment. And I come back to you feeling so blessed and so cared for and so grateful for this congregation. I love you all and I've missed you and I'm glad to be back. Today we're in the book of Acts, in the very last chapter, Acts chapter 28, and we'll be reading verses 14 through the end of the book, and so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Acts 28, I'm going to begin in the middle of verse 14. This is God's Word. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers and sisters there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and Three Taverns to meet us. Now, Appius and Three Taverns sound like place from the Lord of the Rings. But they're not. They're just suburbs of Rome. On seeing the brothers and sisters, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore... I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here have reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, speaking of Christians, we know that everywhere it is spoken against When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And from morning till evening, so it was a long sermon, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed. After Paul had made one statement, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you 
that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. Paul lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, your heart is open to us today. I had a picture in my mind of us coming to your house and knocking on the door, each one of us, and wondering how we would be received. And I imagined you throwing open the door to your house, into your heart, and with arms wide open, giving each one of us a glad-hearted welcome and leading us by a hand to your table where you would feed us with mercy and forgiveness and joy and grace. You are our host, and each one of us is knocking on your door this morning. Throw the door open to us, Lord, that we could commune with you through looking at your word together. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, amen. Uh, Have you guys ever been uh, into a television series that got canceled? If you have, yell it out. What is it? Firefly. Firefly. There's nerds in the house. What else? Anything else? A show that got canceled. Nothing? You You guys do better stuff than just watch TV. So you you know you're watching the show, you get invested into the characters, and each of them has their own unique story arcs, and all that the the story writers, they they foreshadow certain events, and they build things up, and, and the series finale is always this cliffhanger, and then the show gets canceled, and you never know what happens. There was a show about Nebraska that was recently like this. Did any of you watch Bless This Mess? Anybody? A little bit, yeah. Two seasons into it, there was some good character development, and then after season two, nothing. You have no idea what happened. You have to fill in all the gaps, and you're sent to watch Tiger King or whatever else people are watching these days. My favorite example of this is um, Arrested Development. So a Fox sitcom that gained this cult following while it was on the air. And uh, three seasons in, they canceled the show, and what was intended to be a season finale got rebranded into a a series finale, and the whole thing ended mid-plot without tying any of the threads properly together. But here's the, the rest of the story. Netflix picks up that series and begins to show it. And, and more people watch it after it was canceled than it was on originally. And it becomes so popular, in fact, that Netflix is able to financially incentivize the original cast to come back together to make two more seasons where they can tie all the threads together. But the thing is, those seasons stunk. <laughs> and it all kind of flopped. And it turned out that the abrupt ending was the proper one. 
The end of Acts is like that. It's like arrested development. You will never hear that sentence again. <laughs> you're, in the, you're involved in the story and it's like the thing just gets canceled. Luke's narrative has been building and building and building up to this epic moment where Paul gets to preach the gospel in Rome in front of Caesar so that the gospel can go to the ends of the earth. He's been on this mission to the Gentiles and and he's been in the midst of this long-standing legal battle being sent back and forth from Roman courts to Jewish courts. He gets shipwrecked. That's exciting. He gets bit by a snake. And then he finally gets to Rome and it's like the thing gets canceled. What happened to Caesar? Was Paul ever vindicated? What about the gospel going to the ends of the earth? Yeah, he gets there, but what actually gets reported is pretty lackluster. Yeah, he's in Rome, but he's far from free. He's actually staying in a dingy Airbnb with his parole officer, throwing dinner parties for folks who mostly leave them unimpressed by the gospel that he preaches. He preaches a sermon to the Jewish leaders He preaches the same sermon that's gone so well on his earlier revival tour. But here in Rome, it falls flat. It actually says they disagreed among themselves and began to leave. That's how most of my sermons go. That's like most Sundays here. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave. Not exactly an altar call moment. So we're left thinking, man, I've invested hours into these characters. Come on, Luke. Give me a proper ending. You forgot to end the book, man. Well, I want to spend the next few minutes arguing that this is a great ending, that the abrupt ending is the better one. It's better than having all of the loose ends tied up because Luke invites us into the story And he allows us to begin to imagine what it might mean for us to finish the stories, the story ourselves, to write the next chapter with our lives in our time amongst our neighbors and our friends. And along the way, he gives us an earthy model to follow. What I want us to see today is Paul moving into the heart of things, where he opens his home and heart to others so that he can talk to them about the hope and love of Jesus. Let's just start in verse 14, shall we? Paul moves to the heart of things. It's right there, middle of the verse, and so we came to Rome. We've been building and building and building up until this point. This is where the story of Acts has been headed since chapter 13 and even before that. 
when we're told that the gospel needs to go from Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. Now, Rome isn't the ends of the earth, but it was the key to the ends of the earth because it it was the heart of human culture. The significance of the city of Rome in the ancient world was massive, and it's hard for us as moderns to get our head around. Rome had a population in those days of a million people. Never in the history of the world had there been a city with a million people in it before. Even the great cities of the ancient world didn't compare. Babylon, one of the greatest cities, had 200,000 people by comparison. Alexandria climbed to 400,000 by 100 BC, but Rome towered above them all. A million people for four centuries. Such was that city's dominance in its time. It would be seven to ten centuries after this until we would see a city of that relative size, population, and influence. All roads lead to Rome. Rome wasn't built in a day. When in Rome, do what Romans do. It's incredible. Like 21 centuries later, we have all these sayings that we know about Rome. And so if the kingdom of God was going to make it to the ends of the earth, if it was going to have an impact, it was going to go through Rome. It was going to have, it was going to make its mark in this place. So this wasn't the ends of the world, this wasn't the ends of the world, but this was the heart of culture. And for those who have been following along and know the story, you know it wasn't easy for Paul to make it to Rome. Uh, Paul put himself through much hardship to get here. Imprisonments, shipwrecks, suffering, snake bites. Getting to Rome was Paul's unique cross to bear. And Luke really does want us to see it that way. Rome was Paul's cross. One cool thing about this passage is how Luke writes this portion of Paul's journey, his journey to Rome, to mirror Jesus' journey to the cross. This This is cool how the Bible writers do this. So you need to know that the book of Acts is really a sequel to the gospel of Luke. And Luke writes the story of the church to mirror the story of Jesus. But especially in these last chapters, I want you to think about how closely Paul's story mirrors Jesus' story. So both make a trip to Jerusalem that will seal their fate and set them on a trajectory towards their ultimate mission. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem to great fanfare, but soon has a series of interactions with Jewish leaders Interactions that ultimately get him sent to the cross. Paul earlier arrives in Jerusalem to great fanfare, but soon has a series of interactions with those same Jewish leaders, interactions that would lead him to his arrest and sent him, would ultimately get him sent to Rome. Jesus, after his arrest, bounces around from Roman courts to Jewish courts between Caesar's law and Roman's law. He's battered around between 
uh, all the political powers, and he's put on trial, and he's questioned by the high priest Caiaphas, and the Roman governor Pilate, and the puppet king Herod Antipas. The apostle Paul, on the other hand, becomes an enemy of the exact same people who came after Jesus. He gets put on trial just like Jesus. And where Paul experiences that when Paul experiences the justice system, it looks a lot like Jesus' experiences. He gets bounced around from Roman courts to Jewish courts, bounced around from Jewish law to Roman law. On trial, Paul is questioned by the same authorities that questioned Jesus. The people occupying those offices have changed, but they're the same offices. The high priest, the Roman governor, and the puppet king. Jesus is arrested, found guilty, and sent to the cross where he would die for the sins of humanity. Paul is arrested, tried, and sent to Rome where he would be imprisoned for the sake of the gospel to bring it to the heart of the Roman world so they could hear about that Jesus who died for them. Isn't that cool? What Jesus did spiritually... Paul was doing geographically. Jesus dealt with the heart of our sin issue. And Paul suffers to go to the heart of culture to get that news to the whole world. And this long journey of suffering to the heart of the city of Rome gives us a paradigm for the church's mission. We are to follow God into the heart of things, into the heart of culture, into the heart of cities, into the heart of the broken world. We are to go there with Him, which means that evangelical Christians in the West need to push against our frightened withdrawal. Because when we begin to move to the city centers, into the heart of culture. We get scared because it begins to cost us too much. And then we move out to the burbs or, or the metaphorical burbs of our hearts. And our houses become fortresses of solitude with their privacy fences. And we, we stop moving to the heart of things. But this says the calling of a Christ follower is to do the opposite. It's to move towards the broken areas of life, to move towards places of influence, to the heart of culture, to the heart of the world, to pick up our cross and to follow King Jesus into it. The heart of the dispute, the heart of the city. How do you move to the heart of things When the heart of things is hostile to you? I think we can answer that question here. And the first thing that we need to do is take courage. Take courage. Um, We come to Rome in the passage, and it's surprising because there's believers already there. Did you see that? And the brothers there, brothers and sisters... Uh, When they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. And we might say, wait a minute, I thought the gospel was getting to Rome. And now the Roman Christians are going out to meet Paul. How did the gospel beat us? 
Well, if we're paying attention to the story in Acts chapter 2, there were actually visitors from Rome in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And so those guys must have been back home. And they must have told people about Jesus. And we also know that Paul wrote a letter to the church at Rome before he got there saying, I want to come to Rome before I go to Spain. So it's no surprise that the gospel had gotten to Rome Rome wasn't the end game. We're looking beyond Rome. Uh, So the fact that there are believers there is unsurprising. What is surprising (laughs) to me is that the believers in Rome are the ones encouraging Paul. Not Paul encouraging them. Look at this in verse 15. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took, what's the word? Courage. I love that. And as a point of personal privilege, I just think the picture is very beautiful to me and poignant that a man was sent to encourage a congregation, but instead of him going to encourage them, they come out and meet him and put courage into him so that he can be about his task. And that's just what I felt the whole last three months. Like you guys coming out from three taverns or wherever you're living and given me space and retreat and rest, I took courage. And we all take courage from Christian community. And so don't be afraid to speak the word of God back to the people who have spoken it to you. They often need it. Paul took courage, and courage is what we need. And then what did he do? He took courage and he went to Rome and he opened up his home. It's not enough for us just to relocate to the heart of things. You have to go there and be hospitable and open up your home. Look at this. He said, And when we came to Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So that's a little thing we like to call house arrest. The next section goes on to detail how Paul had this one lengthy conversation with some individuals and then you go down to verse 30 and you see that this one conversation was just one of many. What we get there is a paradigm for how Paul did ministry. It was one conversation among many that happened over two years. And so in verse 30 it says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. So the first thing that we see Paul doing when he gets to Rome is he throws a dinner party. He opens up his home. He shows hospitality. Um, The last verse of our text, it reads, uh, He proclaimed the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Another way to translate that without hindrance is to say, and Paul's door was always open. So translators aren't sure whether they're talking about the gospel there or the door to Paul's house. And his door was always open. He makes hospitality his calling card. And here too, he's just mirroring King Jesus and his ministry. Jesus lived in a culture 
uh, where a lot of people were hostile to him and to the gospel. And so the question we can ask Jesus is, how did he walk so many people into the kingdom of God? And the answer that we get from Jesus is one meal at a time. You pay attention to the four Gospels and all the stories about Jesus and you look for common patterns of how he ministered to other and you really see that there's three things that he did. He ministered in word, he preached, he ministered in deed, he healed and helped people and he ministered through hospitality. When he had a big group of people who knew about him, he would talk to them. He would use his words, but especially when there was someone hostile or someone on the margins, he would open up his home to him. And actually, he didn't have a home, so he would invite himself over to their place for dinner and break bread and drink wine and offer wisdom and draw the conversation deeper and to attend and attend to people's hearts and to say to some of them, follow me. You're invited. You're wanted. It's the Christian practice of hospitality. And it's supposed to be our, our plan A for mission. And so you get all these texts in the, in the New Testament that say things like Romans 12, practice hospitality. 1 Peter 4, offer hospitality without grumbling. Hebrews 13.22, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. That's a wacky little verse. We can talk about that later. But it says hospitality, uh, showing hospitality to strangers. And that's what hospitality means in the Greek. It's uh, philozenia. A compound word, philo, love. Xenos means stranger. It's stranger love. It's the opposite of xenophobia. It's not the fear of the stranger, but the welcome of the stranger. Welcome of all strange guests <laughs> into your house. And, uh, you know, in uh, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, hospitality is a requirement for elders in the church. Outside of character, there's two practical skills you need. One is you need to be able to teach, and the other is you need to show hospitality. I don't know about you, but I've heard pastors being removed for all kinds of things. Heresy, adultery, monkey business with money, but never for not being hospitable. This is a drumbeat in the New Testament as we're sent out for mission because it's a big part of the heartbeat of God. And so we shouldn't be surprised to find here at the culminating point of Acts, this last picture that we're left with is a man with his door always open to others. Um. Henri Nouwen defines hospitality as the creation of a free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. And that's what we see Paul attempting to do here. Because who, who were his first guests? The Jewish leaders. 
How had his interaction with the Jewish leaders gone up until this point? Been fairly positive? Reciprocal, mutual love and fellowship? This is a community of people who had caused him a lot of heartache and pain in this book. People who disagreed with him strongly and yet people he loved. And these were the first people that he brings into his home. And then look at the, humili- uh, the, 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 the humility of it. Because he doesn't invite them into his palatial palace. He invites them to hang out in his jail cell. Pretty humbling, don't you think? I mean, when people come over to my house, I'm always trying to clean up. Like take the stuffed animals and stick them under the couch or, or whatever you have to do. And uh, make the place look better. I don't know, it's just when you think about hospitality, there's a generation of people who I think think of Martha Stewart. And like, that's what your house needs to be to show hospitality. If you're a little younger, it's like the, uh, the kinfolk photo shoot in the backyard with the long table. And you've got the Christmas lights hanging, the little white lights. And everybody's sitting around the table at, and it's family style. And everybody has tasteful tattoos. They're all millennials. <laughs> but here's the, here's the thing. That version of hospitality writes off a lot of people. What if you don't have tattoos? What if you're not a millennial model? What if your house isn't super fancy? That is not what the New Testament had in mind. Jesus had none of those things. Paul had none of those things. Paul is right there and he invites these strange people into the humility of his life. And there he welcomes them. There's a big difference in Christianity between entertaining and hospitality. Entertaining is about exclusion. You invite the in crowd. The popular people, the good-looking people. Hospitality is about inclusion. The welcome of all. The welcome of the, the stranger, the enemy, the marginalized, the oppressed. Entertainment is about performance. Showing off your pad. Showing off your muscles. <laughs> I don't know, showing off, what you, whatever you're showing off. Hospitality is about love. It's about service. Entertainment is about reciprocity. I'll do this for you. Now you have to pay me back. Hospitality is about generosity. You give and you don't expect anything in return. I love King Jesus when he talks about this. He's just so forthright and earnest about it. He says, when you throw a party, he expects you to throw parties. When you throw a party, not if you throw a party. When you throw parties, don't invite your friends or your rich neighbors because they may invite you back and you may be repaid. But when you give a banquet, who do you invite? The poor. The hurting, 
the marginalized, your enemy, the crippled, the broken, the blind, and then you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's just the words of King Jesus, whom we follow. This is the last picture we get of the great Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. Think about that. He's just having a long, drawn-out conversation with enemies, desperate to turn these neighbors into the friends of God. And in our time of hostility towards Christianity, in our time of widespread loneliness, in our time of political polarization, as we pick up the pieces of a global pandemic and of a social media digital war and social distancing, imagine a world in which hospitality was the rule. This, for the next 10, 20 years, is where the fruitful ministry will occur. Opening our lives to others, not inviting them into our perfect lives, but into our broken lives so that we can clearly show them the welcome of God. So that God can bring His welcome to the world through us by His Spirit. And as a church, what we need to learn is that we're not here to entertain the world. It's not about great music or TED Talky sermons or whatever. Our impact will be if we can have a sustained hospitable presence in this neighborhood can we have a sustained hospitable presence in the heart of this city not withdrawing from the hurt and the pain and the cost of it but entering in with the love of Christ I pray we can because the reason Paul ends it like this is because he wants us to get this thing lived I didn't become a pastor To tell old stories in a modern context and talk about dingy Airbnbs or whatever. I do that to make you laugh and ultimately to draw us to Jesus. I became a pastor so that we could get this thing lived around tables where the tables of our home could become altars for Jesus and where enemies became friends Strangers were welcomed in and all could be told about the kingdom of God and the love of Christ because it is what the world needs. Jesus comes to us today and he didn't, he didn't stay far away from our mess and our brokenness. He came into the very heart of it and he became human. And he went to a cross. And there he died for us so that we could know that the Father's house is always open. And now the Father comes to you and he comes to me and he leads us into his house and his bounty. And there's a feast for us and he feeds us and he dines with us. And he's our friend and he loves us. But then he sends us out because the gospel still needs to go to the ends of the earth to open our homes and to talk about the love of, of Jesus. And to move to the heart of things. 
So what would it look like for us to go to the heart of things? Who's not at our table that needs to be there if it's going to look like the kingdom of God? How can we winsomely continue to talk about the love of Jesus in a, in a, in a hostile culture? It's the call upon our lives. I'm glad I'm in it with you. Let's do it together, huh? Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your loving kindness to us and how when you send us out to declare who you are, you don't let us do it in a way that's not commensurate with your own heart, that we are supposed to look like you. Our welcome is supposed to look like your welcome to the world. And, and I pray, Lord, that we can be a church that increasingly is able to sit in the heart of this city and to grow in our love for it to be hospitable to our neighbors who need Jesus and to one another. We are very different people in this room. Conservatives, liberals, maskers, I'm not going to masker, whatever. We're strangers to one another in many ways. And we need each other's hospitable presence and to declare again to to one another the, the love of Jesus. So thank you that you're hospitable to us, Lord. Thank you at great cost to yourself that you, you earned us the welcome of God on the cross. And now help us to, uh, to, to imagine what it would look like to continue this story using Paul's earthy, mes- um, earthy methods in getting the gospel out there. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.